Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen. You know, we always question what kind of love demands the loveless practice of polygamy. Is it from God who loves us? And if so, it's a very strange kind of love, or it isn't love at all. Our purpose is to show that polygamy really never was from God. Before we get started, we want you to know that we do help people leave polygamy, and we help them discover God won't be angry with them if they do leave. You can call our toll-free number, 877-425-9993, for more information. We can discuss your situation if you're wanting to leave yourself, and we discuss it confidentially. You can also go to our website, shieldandrefuge.org, for more information about us. If you would like to contact us about any of our shows or want to be a guest and tell your story on our show, you can do so by contacting us through email at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Also, audio versions of our program are available. For instructions, you can just go to our main webpage or soundcloud.com slash whatloveisthis. In addition to SoundCloud, our, our um, show is also available on iTunes podcast. So now... I'd like to thank and introduce and welcome our co-host. Thank you, Doris. Earl Erskine. <laughs> yeah. Boy, this technology is all over the place, isn't it? I you know, just get so many different places and to, we, and we get to get to our be information everywhere, out. right? Yeah. 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 And the same it's with your that. ex-Mormon files. You yeah. Know, just yeah. We're hearing from people all over the world, actually, uh, mm. that, uh, that they've heard the story or heard the show and That's your great. show. And it is wonderful. That is so good. have a good. voice out there to... Mm-hmm to share this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate your help and your efforts that you give in, you in your Ex-Mormon Files show as yeah. well. To, today we're going to talk about a book. It's a recently published book. It's entitled A House Full of Females, and it was written by Pulitzer Prize winner Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, Ulrich. Uh, and it caught my interest, it caught my attention, so I purchased it and I subsequently decided that <laughs> I'd, I'd uh, do a show on it and, and just do a short review, not a critical review of the entire book or anything, but on certain parts of the book that yeah. I thought were very interesting That's discussion amazing. regarding early Mormon polygamy. Um, I became interested primarily because of how she dealt with the women's suffrage movement yeah. or the right for women to vote uh, in America. And I discovered that she did not cover some important information about what was going on behind the scenes in polygamous Utah during the women's suffrage movement. Also, one of the paragraphs on the flyleaf caught my eye. I'd like to quote. Ulrich has recreated a full and fascinating narrative of the personalities and lives of these extraordinary women and men to make real for us how they made their way into this new society and how that society, which didn't start out embracing polygamy, over time, beginning in 1841 when Joseph Smith took his first plural wife, developed its peculiar marriage system, even in secret from other members of its own community. So she doesn't really tell it like the history shows it happened. He developed polygamy, the society didn't. Of course, it came from that. But his first plural wife really was not in 1840 or 1841. 
if that is uh, you count <laughs> Fanny Alger. That's right. And if you don't count Fanny Alger, then Joseph Smith was plainly guilty of adultery, and the LDS Church can't handle that idea. So they say she was his first plural wife. They must count her as his first wife, even though there's no indication, there's no record at all that they ever were married. Well, Joseph Smith's legal wife, Emma, actually discovered her husband and Fanny in the very act of adultery, and that's historically accurate. And that event was in 1833, when Fanny was only 16 years old. So if Fanny isn't counted, then Joseph Smith was. Uh, an adulterer, and his first plural marriage was Louisa Beeman in 1841. So that's just to explain the, <laughs> the information I found on the flyway. Now, on page 66 of the book, we read this. Some biographers assume that Joseph invented the doctrine of plural marriage in order to justify illicit relations with vulnerable young women. There is some evidence to support that assumption. <laughs> and we just gave Gee one of whiz. the evidences yeah. with 16-year-old Fanny, and there's actually much evidence to support that assumption. Fanny Alger uh, and Joseph Smith's affair is just one of them. There were several sexual allegations made against Joseph Smith from 1827 through 1844, and we want to refer you to the webpage link on the screen at mormonthink.com, where Grant Palmer has posted an excellent article about about the sexual allegations against Joseph Smith and all the footnotes and cross-references. Yeah. He's very good in the articles he puts and together. In every city that he lived in, right? Just about, <laughs> yes. Well, in her book, the author discusses the women's suffrage movement among the pioneer Mormons. Now, as the Utah Territory was being settled, polygamy raged on despite threats by the federal government for them to cease and desist or suffer dire consequences. Well, Utah was finally admitted into the Union after Wilford Woodruff presented the manifesto which banned polygamy. Well, Utah's constitution for statehood also included that polygamy was banned forever. We would like to read Article 3 of the Constitution that deals with that issue. As you say, Article 3, it's called an ordinance. The following ordinance shall be irrevocable without the consent of the United States and the people of this state. Religious toleration, polygamy forbidden. First, perfect toleration of religious sentiment is guaranteed. No inhabitant of this state shall ever be molested in person or property on account of his or her mode of religious worship. But polygamous or plural marriages are forever prohibited. Now that still stands in today's still constitution, in constitution, and it cannot change without the consent of the United States of America and the people of this state. I wonder why <laughs> we have so much trouble with polygamy I in know. Utah. Well, about female suffrage or women getting the, the vote, voting rights, Ulrich writes this. By 1900, Utah had a far higher proportion of its population affiliated with the national women's suffrage movement than any other state or territory in the nation. Okay, <laughs> this is where I kind of wanted to get <laughs> my two cents in. Of course they did. Yeah. Of course they did. And here's but, why. <laughs> uh, but only because the Mormon polygamous men allowed them, even encouraged them to vote because each woman would vote how her husband told her to vote. A polygamous Mormon man had as many votes as he had wives. 
And Eliza Young, who was a plural wife at Brigham Young, wrote a book about early Mormon polygamy in Utah. And she wrote about this and about Utah women and their voting rights. Now, this is kind of a long quote, but it's it's we couldn't shorten it. There's too much yeah. information in it. This is from her book, Wife Number 19, pages 93 and 94. In politics, a semblance of independent action is kept up. Since the people are not publicly told which way they must vote, yet the bishops and ward teachers make it understood what is expected of the faithful at the elections. I've often heard ladies in the East say that they considered Utah way in advance, that there, the equality of the sexes was so far regarded that the ballot was in the women's hands, and that, the, and that there they had received the right of suffrage. But in polygamous Utah, ruled over by a treacherous tyrant, this very right, which they claim will loosen the legal and political shackles by which women are bound, only binds the chains tighter and makes them greater slaves than ever. And the most hateful part is that they are helping to tighten their own bonds and are doing it under compulsion. So we're getting a little more of what's going on behind the scenes yeah. through her book. And Eliza Young also wrote that behind the scenes women's suffrage had nothing to do with the idea of equality for Mormon women in other areas of their lives. Again, we quote. The reason of this wonderful act of justice on Brigham Young's part can easily be given. When the Union Pacific Railroad was completed and the influx of miners and other outsiders from the Gentile world began to flood the territory and make homes for themselves in the very midst of Mormondom, the chiefs of the Mormon hierarchy grew very fearful and apprehensive lest the power should pass from their grasp into Gentile hands by the gradual change of population. By adopting female suffrage, they would treble their voting power at once. There was no longer any hesitation. The measure was adopted, and so general and general, generous was it that in Utah today, every person of the female sex, from the babe in the arms to the oldest bedridden imbecile crony, has the right of elective franchise and is compelled to use it. <laughs> in other words, they, yeah. they were very fair Told in what, what they did. Yeah. She tells about her first experience in exercising her own personal voting rights. She was a commanded by Brigham Young not only to vote, but whom she would be voting for. And she didn't dare vote any other way. Utah did not have the secret ballot. Their ballots were numbered and registered to the name who voted on that ballot. So it was very easy to ver verify who voted for whom or whom voted for who or whatever. <laughs> this information is less known regarding Utah's efforts in, in women's suffrage. And it wasn't just Anne Eliza Young who testified about this. Fanny Stenhouse also verified the voting practices of early Mormon Utah. We have another long quote <laughs> from her book. This is again so fascinating and it, it kind of gives you the idea of the nature of of the situation At here the in Utah. Mm -hmm. It will be a matter of interest to learn that Brigham Young conferred the franchise upon the Mormon ladies. This at first appears to be a very liberal measure, but let not the innocent reader be deceived thereby. The opening of the mines and the great influx of Gentiles, consequent upon the completion of the Union Pacific Railroad, proved very clearly to Brigham that the day might come when the Gentiles would have an equality, if not a majority of votes. And in that day, the slavish despotism of the Mormon priesthood would be overthrown. It was wise to provide for contingencies. So a bill was brought in conferring upon women the privilege of voting. 
No Mormon woman would for a moment ever dream of voting otherwise than she was directed by her husband. Thus, a man with half a dozen wives would now have half a dozen votes, and Brother Brigham, instead of having only his own single vote, would have 19 for his 19 wives, to say nothing of his daughters and the whole army of spiritual wives which he might produce. I have often seen one solitary man driving into the city, a whole wagon load of women of all ages and sizes. They were going to the poll and their votes would be won. So this backs <laughs> up what women's suffrage was to, uh, for their, uh, certainly, uh, uh, what they wanted to happen sure. in this state. And, yeah. you know, it's kind been of the political rest of the story, ever since. That's the rest of the story. Yeah. So women getting voting rights in Utah was just another controlling feature of the patriarchal um, Utah culture. Now, Fanny, Fanny Stenhouse said that the ballot in Utah became a ridiculous farce instead of a means for obtaining unbiased and uh, uninfluenced elections. Ulrich praised the Utah pioneer women, uh, writing that their work ensured that when Utah achieved statehood in 1896, its constitution gave women the right to vote. Yes, Utah women worked hard for the suffrage movement, but not for the equality and other aspects of their lives, but only when it served to enhance Mormonism, polygamy, and patriarchy. And Wyoming and Colorado both gave women the right to vote before Utah did and Idaho gave women voting rights the same year Utah did. All this to say that Mormon Utah was not extra spectacular in giving Utah women voting rights, which the author tended to imply, and certainly not in giving them equal rights in other areas. <laughs> in fact, historically, women's equality remains worse in Utah than most of the rest of the nation. For instance, on the webpage shown on the screen, wallethub.com and, and so on, for 2016, Utah ranks 50th in equality of women in the workplace environment, 50th in education, 39th in political empowerment, 49th in the largest pay disparity, and 48th in largest work hour disparity. Doesn't sound like equality, does No it? <laughs> equality was gained from the women's suffrage movement except to vote who the men wanted them to vote. Now, the gender gap in Utah has always been atrocious, and it still is. The book presents pioneer Mormon wisdom, women as having a huge positive influence in their own treatment and lifestyle, and she does an excellent job in her treatment of this history, but she leaves out too many negative forces that were behind some of the facts and the events that she presents. For instance, about pioneer polygamy and the women involved, she wrote this. On page 387, certainly there could have been no such thing as plural marriage if hundreds of women had not accepted the principle and passed it on to new generations. Some did so because they believed plural marriage was a glorious doctrine, others out of a hope for future exaltation or because conforming seemed a lesser evil than abandoning their homes and faith. Later generations of Latter-day Saints sometimes claimed that their pioneer ancestors lived a higher law. And she said this higher law wasn't polygamy, but that it was actually virtues like patience and forgiveness and love which polygamy was supposed to produce. Well, I'm from a polygamy group, and I know what they taught, and I know what I was taught, and they know that polygamy itself is the higher law. It was considered so then, and it continues to be referred to a higher law today. I think what she omits from her book about polygamy in the Mormon pioneer culture is not 
not the religious context of polygamy, but the ongoing threat of hellfire and destruction for those who refuse to live and support plural marriage. Sadly, shows like Sister Wives and My Five Wives and The <laughs> Darger Family and other high-profile polygamous families rarely emphasize the religious dogmatism that is the driving force behind polygamy. She writes in her book that pioneer polygamous women sometimes vigorously defended polygamy even though they hated it, and that's true, but she doesn't properly explain why. She praises the work and the power of the Relief Society in trading Mormon women in educational, economic, and political enterprise. She writes on this on page 375. At the moment, they had a more insistent task, defending plural marriage against a new coalition of dissenters, what they believed was the true Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In 1859, Joseph and Emma's oldest son, Joseph Smith III, agreed to lead the new movement, which in 1863 sent missionaries to Utah to announce that Brigham Young lacked legal and spiritual authority, that the doctrine of plural marriage was akin to slavery, and that Joseph, Smith, Joseph III was the true heir to his father. We got, we got a lot of yeah. information uh, from history because of this, this uh, inquiry that was going on, and this was a big deal at the yeah, time. They needed to determine whether the Missouri LDS Church had God's authority or if the Utah Church had it, and Brigham Young had plenty to say about this controversy that Joseph's son was stirring up. We quote. <laughs> I like this. Brigham knew whom to blame. In a sermon preached in the tabernacle in October of 1866, he exclaimed, Emma Smith is one of the damnedest liars I know of on the earth. Yet there is no good thing I would refuse to do for her if she would only be a righteous woman. <laughs> Rumor has it that he proposed to her, wanted her after uh, Joseph was dead, mm. and she refused him spot on. Of course, yeah. that could have made him a little upset. <laughs> yeah. Of course, several of Joseph Smith's widows became uh, Brigham Young's plural wives, as did Heber C. Kimball take many of his wives. And they did defend plural marriage because their eternity depended upon it. Or so they, so thought. they thought, anyway. <laughs> yeah. And they signed affidavits. Their journals and diaries backed up their claims. Joseph Smith was a polygamist, and they were proud to have been one of the president's plural wives. Though many of them wanted to expose the horrors of polygamy publicly, they didn't dare. Let's look at the kinds of threats given to the females who were coerced into plural marriage. We'll start with Doctrine and Covenants 132. Yeah, verse 52. And let mine handmaid, Emma Smith, receive all those that have been given unto my servant Joseph, and who are virtuous and pure before me. And those who are not pure, and have said that they were pure, shall be destroyed, saith the Lord God. He sure likes to use a lot of fear and destruction in his sermons, he doesn't he? He does. Verse 54 says, And I command mine handmaid, Emma Smith, to abide and cleave unto my servant Joseph and to none else. But if she will not abide this command, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord, for I am the Lord thy God, and will destroy her if she abide not in my law. This is from Brigham Young in the Journal of Discourses. It is all connected with the exaltation of man, showing how he becomes exalted to be a king and a priest, yea, even a god, like his father in heaven. 
Without the doctrine that this revelation reveals, no man on earth ever could be exalted to be a god. And of course he's referring to polygamy. polygamy. That's the context. Another one that Brigham Young said in Journal of Discourses is this, the only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. So you can see the coercion they're using yeah. here. And John Taylor said this, where did this commandment come from in relation to polygamy? It also came from God. It was a revelation given unto Joseph Smith from God and was made binding upon his servants. When this system was first introduced among this people, it was one of the greatest crosses that ever was taken up by any set of men since the world stood. Joseph Smith told others, he told me, and I can bear witness of it, that if this principle was not introduced, this church and kingdom could not proceed. Look how much that they are <laughs> hanging polygamy on. Yeah. You know, it's just the exaltation, the continuing of the church, the ex the, yeah. the, the 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 power and Becoming and the binding and, and yeah. oh, it's just it just blows my mind. Here's another one uh, by Joseph F. Smith. This doctrine of eternal union of husband and wife and of plural marriage is one of the most important doctrines ever revealed to man in any age of the world. Wow. Let's not forget the cross here, okay? Without it, man would come to a full stop. Without it, we never could be exalted to associate with be and become gods. Neither could we attain to the power of eternal increase or the blessings pronounced upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the fathers of the wow. faithful. So you can see, and this is just some of the sermons, just a few of the sermons that these early polygamous fathers gave to um, their congregations. To justify this polygamy. The, the threat, yeah, the justified yeah. and commanded and coerced, and it, and it was a threat of, of destruction. The heavy guilt was placed on every single woman who knew about polygamy and forced into it by this kind of preaching and teaching. No woman wanted to face eternal destruction. They all wanted their husbands to become a god, and they didn't want the eternal liability of having kept him from making it into godhood. Those threats remain today, and they are all false doctrine. And that is why women defended polygamy then, and that's why they defend it today. Now, these quotes are not found within the pages of her book, at least that I could see. But they tell the untold story of a terror and threats of damnation to all women who refuse polygamy, and they should be included in every comprehensive historical account of Mormon pioneer polygamy. This was a good and it was an interesting historical book that documented much of early Mormon polygamy and the women who lived it, but it wasn't neutral, mm. not in my opinion. Her leaning was obviously a softness toward early Mormonism's odd doctrine of polygamy for salvation. And, and, and this isn't a critical review of the book either. We just wanted to point out some rarely discussed facts about early Mormon women's suffrage that was not put forth in her book. The author makes it a point to explain that many high-profile polygamous women campaigned against the law that banned polygamy. She maintains that they believed women had the right to determine whom they should marry and with whom they should bear children. But again, she doesn't bring up the reason behind their dogmatism. And no woman has the religious right to choose another woman's husband to be the father of her children. 
Polygamy was not a personal choice for most of them. It was required by God or be condemned and destroyed. When they chose to live polygamy, they were in essence choosing not to go to hell because that was the only option. Of course, they would defend the very thing that they believed earned them a ticket into heaven and Godhood. But she doesn't bring that out as being the driving force behind Mormon polygamy. And so that is why I wanted to, these two reasons is why I wanted to talk about her book. Otherwise, I think it's a very good book. Uh, Zena Huntington, who is a plural wife, uh, both Brigham Young and Joseph Smith, said this about polygamy. Yeah. It is the duty of the first wife to regard her husband not with a selfish devotion. She must regard her husband with indifference and with no other feeling than that of reverence. For love we regard as a false sentiment, a feeling which should have no existence in polygamy. That is so harsh. Isn't that hard? That's terrible. She yeah. had a harsh life. You know, we've done her story before, but and, so she would say that. But And, and you said... Uh, in, in fact, in the introduction, you talk about the fact that you you were leaving polygamy. You believed you were going to hell, mm -hmm. that you you were being cast out. You can and, see why. Yeah. Look at all. The, we all were the taught coercion. all those things. We were taught uh, d damnation, destruction, if you know about it and you don't do it, and and uh, eternal darkness, outer darkness, you know, all those threats. I, I would become a demon. I would become a son of perdition. And did this start at a young age, I guess? Oh, yes. Yeah, we're coerced from the cradle. We're, we're, we're conditioned, I guess is a yeah. good word, from as we grow up to accept their way of life because well, that's the only thing that pleases How tough God. was that to watch the actual things that went on with, with your mother, I'm sure, and with other ladies in the, in the group and, and then the words that they say? Was there a contradiction there that you well, sensed? Well, they didn't talk about their problems much around the young kids. No, but kids, you probably see it. Right? I, I, saw the, it? I saw the contention between my mother and the first wife. Yeah. Uh, the first wife was, she kind of ruled. You know, yeah. We didn't live in the same home, but what she said, go. In fact, yeah. one time, my mother didn't believe that we should do anything fun. And... Um, and uh, we were, uh, one time her daughters, she had daughters, and she came to mom and said, we want to go to the show tonight, can Doris go with us? And mom said, no, she's got to stay home and work, you know. And that made the first wife very upset because her daughters were going. Yeah. And and if they could go, if they, then were they, was I so good that, yeah. that I couldn't go with them? And so yeah. my mother let me go to the show because of that. Oh. So things like that happened, yeah. yes. Sad. And there's a lot of stories <laughs> like that. So anyway, uh, if you want to watch, read the book and get more information about early Mormon polygamy, uh, it's a house full of females. Thanks again, Earl. Thank you. you know, false history attempts to explain away Mormon polygamy. An example is that it was for widows and orphans. Well, you only need to read Doctrine and Covenants section 132 of the, to find out that's not true. But then again, after Joseph Smith's death, Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball swooped in to claim many of their widows for their plural wives. And so in that sense, polygamy did absorb widows, but many of them were still very poor and very lonely. It's a tragedy that they didn't open their Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7, 2, where God has mandated one wife for each man and one husband for each woman. And polygamists today need to read that verse and others that explain that salvation is found in no one and no thing else except Jesus Christ and Him alone. Polygamy is not part of eternity or of God's way for us to get there. Thank you for watching. God bless.
This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.